A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co/insomnia. Help! I cannot sleep. I used to be able to sleep okay, like six or seven hours per night, but now for some reason I just cannot fall asleep, and the noise and anything wake me up so easily. What's the worst is once I'm up, I'm up the whole night. I tried everything. I tried to make sure my room is comfortable, it's dark, it's quiet. I stop drinking coffee. I try to go to bed early, but. Guess what? I'm just laying there, still being awake. Nothing has helped. What can I do? So, any of this sounds familiar to you? If so, I would say you haven't tried everything yet. All these things people are trying to control sleep sometimes actually make sleep worse. Also, if we think our sleep and our body is broken, then it makes it harder for sleep to happen naturally. Then what can you do? Is to let go of the control, change your perception of sleep, change your relationship with sleep, form healthy sleep habits, and then sleep will happen. These are the treatment method CBT for insomnia talk about. By far, this method is the most effective treatment for insomnia, and it has a lot of clinical evidence behind it to support it. And myself, I witness a lot of my own patients to really recover from insomnia after the treatment. Several of our previous sleep doctors guests also recommended this method. Then, how can we learn more about this method? So today, I'm very happy to invite one guest from UK, a sleep coach, Tracy Hannigan, to share her own journey of recovering from insomnia using this method, and then how she mastered this method and started helping others who have insomnia. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. I'm your host Ishan. Let's welcome Tracy. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that we can connect over, you know, internationally. I know you are in UK and I'm in California. Yeah, and I think it helps that I'm an early bird and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the circadian rhythm definitely aligns perfectly. I'm night owl. You're early bird. That's great. You're morning and really night. <laughs> Before we start, how about you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience, whoever is listening and watching? Sure.、Um, well, my name is Tracy Hannigan, and I live just outside of London in the UK. I became interested in CBTI when I was suffering with insomnia and used CBTI myself、um, to kind of help me on my recovery journey.、Um, and I'm a healthcare practitioner here in the UK, and I'm an osteopath. And in my clinical practice. When I was beginning to to do my work with people with physical pain, the issue of sleep just kept cropping up and up and up over and over and over again. And so, what I decided to do is to go on and do some additional training, kind of top up a psychology degree that I'd done in the past, and to learn about how to help my patients more using CBTI 
because I just benefited from it so much. And as I started to use it with my clients, because we have quite long sessions and I could spend over an hour with somebody, you have the opportunity to drop things in and to start talking about these things. And eventually people just started to come to me um, just to book sessions to talk about sleep. And so my journey as a CBTI therapist just kind of um, spun from there. Wow, that's great. So for CBTI, the whole name, I think, is uh, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, right? Can you explain a little bit what that is? Because I think we possibly hear CBTI or some audience may never heard about it. So some people may not know what that is. Yeah, so cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, it's different from cognitive behavioral therapy. So a lot of people think that they are the same. They might have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, but they think that it might be the same exact thing, but you apply it to to sleep and it's a little bit different. So CBTI addresses the cognitive part, the way we think about sleep um, in order to address things like sleep anxiety and the, the thoughts and behaviors that we start to develop around sleep and our, our beliefs about sleep. We dig into those in the cognitive part. The behavioral part of CBTI addresses sleep behaviors. What do you do when you aren't tired, but you feel like you should go to bed? Do you go to bed and lay there and wait to fall asleep or try to sleep? What do you do? So the cognitive behavioral part addresses both the, the thoughts and beliefs about sleep as well as sleep behaviors. And it does this in order to kind of tweak and work with our natural sleeping systems because we have these natural systems that we don't lose just because we're not sleeping well. We just need to kind of use what we can in order to kind of nudge ourselves in the right direction so that we start to sleep a little bit better. Mm, so sounds like it's a method that not really depends on medication. It's actually behavioral, cognitive, this kind of strategy. Yeah. And one of the things that really appeals to me about it is that it doesn't rely on anything external, which is perfect for people who may not be able to take medication. I mean, medication can help you sleep in the short term, but it doesn't actually resolve people's insomnia because insomnia isn't just sleeplessness. <laughs> uh, insomnia is this whole collection of thoughts and behaviors and sleeping patterns that disrupt the natural rhythm of our sleep. And we have to be able to address that from within ourselves. And what's interesting about it for me is that you can't force it. So you might learn these cognitive strategies as well. You can't force the sleep to happen. So you're working with a natural system that's pretty robust anyway. You just have to develop a different relationship with, with sleep in order to leverage that. And then you begin to sleep uh, more soundly and then longer throughout the process of CBTI. I like it. We are not trying to control the sleep. Absolutely. You have to let go of needing to control it. One of the things that I think people struggle with the most is the idea of not trying to sleep. <laughs> and it's almost built into the language that, that, that people use about sleep. Well, I was trying to sleep or I was trying to do this. And it comes up in CBTI when I talk about relaxation strategies and mindfulness unless it's presented in a way that uses those strategies as part of their life, as part of their approach to living so that their anxiety level can come down. Um, so they're not so hyper aroused, they're going to sleep better. But if they use these strategies like a hammer and a nail, 
and they try to go, oh, I'm not sleeping. I'm going to pull out that book where that strategy is. I'm going to read it and I'm going to do it. And they try to use it to sleep. It's probably not going to work very well. Um, so we really have to more allow sleep to happen by changing how we think about it and changing how we act um, around our sleep. Mm, exactly. Sounds really interesting. So you mentioned when you first get to know this method, there's some personal struggles. So does that mean you used to also were in this cycle of trying to control sleep or cannot sleep very well? Definitely, definitely. So there were a couple of periods in my life. The first largest one was after my husband died, kind of in the bereavement process. And people experience these things all the time, um, bereavements, breakups, job losses. This particular experience for me was a bereavement and obviously it disrupted my sleep. And I did what I thought I should do, which is try everything that I could and everything I could find um, to sleep. Now, this was sort of like the days when the internet was just barely around, <laughs> So it was actually probably a good thing that I didn't get to sit up all night and research things on the internet. I tried all of the various tricks that people told me to try. I tried sleeping in the daytime, uh, going to bed early, staying in bed late. And essentially, I was training myself to sleep badly. Um, and I don't judge anybody who's in that position because people don't know if they don't have the toolbox. And I didn't have the toolbox at the time. But then having gone through the process of working with somebody around the sleep behaviors in particular, that really, really helped sort me out. My thoughts and beliefs about sleep weren't as critical as my behaviors were, I think. And I think that's where not having the internet was really helpful for me because I am somebody who would sit up and just research things to pieces all night long. <laughs> and unless you have a broad view of what things mean, you can really go down a rabbit hole trying to find an answer. And that seeking and that trying, I now can see how disruptive it is for people. Mm. Yeah. So like you mentioned, you back then you really did not have the right toolbox. You did find a lot of available tools other people hand over to you. They're just not very effective. Then yeah. how did you get to know CBTI? <laughs> um, I met somebody who was familiar with it and they put me on to somebody who did it. And so it just happened to be luck that I found that particular thread. So you never heard about that? I had never heard about it. No, never heard about it. And this was before I had done my degree in psychology. So I wasn't even aware of what CBT was. So I didn't even have the opportunity to be confused by that. I thought, well, I've tried everything else. I'll try that too. And it was a very eye-opening experience. In what way? I, I really want to, I'm curious about like to yourself, since you were in this deep struggle and tough time, tough moment in your life, and you know it's the emotional pain and the, the sleep difficulties a lot of times entangle. So what about CBTI really opened your eyes? I think particularly because I was experiencing a, sort of a massive loss of control of everything in my life um, and not having ever been a control freak, but something like that will really throw anybody, allowed me to see how my natural sleeping rhythm was supposed to work and how I could influence it. And it almost seemed like it was the only thing I could do anything about. <laughs> 
which is why if I had the internet and was going around looking, I would have tried everything that I could find on the internet now. And I tried everything because I was trying to control my sleep. I was trying to, in a lot of ways, control things I couldn't control besides my sleep as part of the healing process after his death. But it was sleep was something that I felt was tangible because I could measure the daylights out of it. <laughs> um, I could write it all down. I could keep really close track, which is something I now advise people not to do too much. I was really trying to control that because I felt like I had to in order to fix it. I learned that actually I didn't have to do that. I had to kind of allow the sleep to happen. I look at it now when I have kind of a blip in life, like when lockdown happened and schools closed and my house was in the middle of sale and everything. I had like another kind of blip. I had this, this toolbox of like, I can't control this, which is one of the real life benefits of CBTI as well, as you learn, you can't control everything. <laughs> it changes your perspective on things. But I had this toolbox that allowed me to kind of say, okay, I don't have to try to sleep. I've been tired in the day before. I'll be tired tomorrow. It'll be okay. The next day is going to come and things always change. That gives you a great kind of calmness that when I first learned that trick through CBTI, just changing that thought process, my anxiety level came down and it made it easier to cope with everything. Even though I wasn't necessarily immediately sleeping better, I was able to cope with all of the other drama that was happening in life a lot better because I wasn't so fixated on trying to fix the sleep problem. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So sounds like being able to do something, have the toolbox available for your sleep really empowered you and helped you to start dealing with other chaos, stress in your life much better. And it's so interesting, like the whole goal originally was to control sleep. But mm -hmm. CBTI, when, when you say two bucks, some people may, may hear and think, oh, two bucks, another two bucks to help me control my sleep. Yes, but I really exactly. like what you mentioned, right? It actually, a lot more than that. No, it's not. It's actually let go of control. Yeah. A lot of the tools that go into the toolbox, you have to know how to use the tools. So sometimes people don't know the tools. Like I didn't know CBTI existed. And within CBTI, especially now that it's developed so much, there's so many different sorts of pieces that get added around the core of it. Some of my favorites tend to be kind of meditation and mindfulness. And then when I talk about this, people will say, well, what mindfulness technique should I use to get to sleep at night? And so we have to have this conversation about you can't use these things to control sleep because it's counterproductive. It doesn't help for a lot of reasons. One, if you try to use any kind of strategy to force sleep, you're just going to increase your anxiety about sleep, which is going to make you sleep more poorly. And it comes a bit like a bit of a vicious circle. And the other thing is you're kind of also missing an opportunity because mindfulness and or acceptance and commitment therapy strategies shift your perspective on things in life in a way that lowers your anxiety level. And so as I began to learn those, incorporate those in my life, that toolbox that I originally kind of I gathered the core of CBTI material <laughs> and then started adding in these tools along the way that I now share with my clients. And they have changed not just my sleep, but my, my life and my outlook. You have to know how to use these tools and using them that way is not necessarily helpful. Right, right. So not just about the tools, because some people can be really rushed. Just give me something 
to nail my sleep, just like a substitute for medication, right? They're desperate, and I totally can understand that desperation. There is nothing more horrible than laying in bed at night, looking at the ceiling, and just kind of counting the minutes, knowing that you're not going to sleep. Comes a self fulfilling prophecy at that point as well. Uh, but I've been there. I think everybody experiences things in in their life. Sometimes people will develop insomnia as a result of that sleep disruption, and sometimes they won't. I did, and I still experience sleep disruption. But now I kind of have my toolbox. I call it my wellness toolbox. <laughs> right.、Um, so you're not afraid anymore. No, I'm not. I'm not afraid of the lack of sleep. I might be annoyed by it. I still experience this like a little bit of like a lack of acceptance, <laughs> but when I find I'm doing that, I go back to part of CBTI with a stimulus control part. If I'm not feeling accepting of the situation, I get up and I get out of bed because that works for me. Now that I'm more experienced in using those tools with the toolbox, sometimes I can just be in bed and it's okay.、Mm. But it's difficult for me to. To explain to somebody who's come to see me for help that first time, to tell them to lay in bed and just accept that you're not sleeping because it's not going to work very well.、Um, I think that takes practice, and I just I really protect my bed as that space for me to sleep. Sometimes I go to bed and I think, oh, I really want to read, and I'm so well conditioned to sleep in my bed now that I can't do it. <laughs> I have to read someplace else. All these are good tips, actually. What you are mentioning, right? Earlier, you mentioned you did something, trying you thought they couldn't be helpful, but end up hurting your sleep.、Mm, yeah, from the constant trying, and I think that the things that people are told to try, you know, the tip sheets with sleep hygiene techniques and things, they're not necessarily bad things for people who don't sleep badly. They're General good common sense advice, but they aren't helpful for people with insomnia because they don't address the root issue. They could kind of be a top up, kind of like icing on the cake. But unless you have cake in there, the whole thing's just going to melt into a heap. It's not really going to work. Problem is that people keep seeking after the next thing and the next thing on the list and the next thing on the list and the next thing on the list. They get really frustrated. I was so frustrated. I was like, I've tried everything. Am I broken? <laughs> what is what is going on? Try everything, and it's not that those things were bad in and of themselves. It's just that they weren't the right tool for the particular building that I needed to sort out. Exactly. I think here,、um, me and some of my colleagues, we all think like it's just like you are cleaning your teeth, right?、Mm-hmm. If your teeth are very healthy, of course you just do cleaning those kind of things. You're great. But if you have cavity, if you really need some teeth surgery, and、yes. you still、yeah. say, "I tried everything to keep my teeth clean,"、mm-hmm. it, it won't solve any. Real problem. You still have painful. Not a substitute for a root canal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a really good analogy. And a lot of those things are good for helping people who sleep really well to kind of protect their sleep a little bit. But I think once you've kind of crossed that threshold into these thoughts and behaviors and anxieties about sleep and the trying to sleep part, they can't address those things. And they fall into the category of things that increase sleep anxiety, as I as I see it, because it's the trying, 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 trying. Yeah, and, especially and feeling like you failed, and it's like over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and the sleep hygiene stuff you talk about, I know people can just Google it, find a lot of information. It's sometimes for people with insomnia, 
it feels like a sense of controlling. And yeah, the frustration you mentioned, I, I feel it's so real. And I hear from so many people, friends, and it won't work just by itself. For our listeners, what kind of time they should consider, okay, uh, this is far more than normal. I need to consider CBTI. What, what make people, you know, good candidate or should consider CBTI as an option? Right. I would say it's sometimes difficult for people to see their own thoughts and fears about sleep. But one really obvious one that comes to mind is when somebody says, I'm really, really tired. I'm getting, I'm sleepy. I've had a long day again. I'm almost ready to fall asleep. And I go to bed and I put my head on the pillow. And then it's like, I am wide awake. I think that person's probably a great candidate for CBTI. <laughs> whatever the behaviors have been they're conditioned to be alert awake and on high vigilance level when they're when they're in their bed no matter how sleepy they are so I think that that kind of person is a good candidate I think somebody who knows that they're afraid to go to sleep because they know it's just going to be a really difficult night again probably another person who might be a good candidate obviously there are some people for whom CBTI is not appropriate but if you are not in that category of people and you fit those other two, I would say you should definitely ask about getting a referral. Mm. So for CBTI and how long normally to take this method to really start working, how long people should expect, you know, when they think, oh, I want to try this method, but does is that method take really, really long? And right. what that may look like? So I think... In part, because it depends on each person and what the exact kind of intervention is. But I've seen some people sleep turn around in three to four weeks. Sometimes it takes people longer. If you look at kind of the standard CBTI, if you can get eight sessions, certainly by then you have all of the tools that you need. And then you've learned how to apply them in a safe environment and you've experimented and you had somebody to guide you. You can then take that with you to continue improving um, how much sleep you get. But I often will see within a month for a lot of people, at least their sleep quality will improve. That usually happens first. And then they begin to sleep more and more. Mm. That was certainly my experience as well. Definitely. I think uh, similar to what I see, like around four sessions, some people even less than four sessions already have better improvement. And some people need more than six, some people less than six sessions. Also depends on whether it's group and individual. Yeah, I think a similar observation is what you experienced. You mentioned sleep quality. I think some of our listeners may be curious about, you know, what are some good measurements for sleep quality? Like if I want to know whether my sleep quality is okay or not good, what are some things I can use to tell? Right. I find that a lot of people who begin to start working on their sleep will start to write things down, especially when you start talking about diaries. And the number is not the important thing in the beginning, especially. It wouldn't be a measurement based on how much you've slept, but how you feel during the day. What I've seen in people is that they'll feel a certain way when they start. They may not be getting more sleep or maybe just a little bit more sleep than they had before, maybe by week three or four. But they're like, I feel like I can cope with my day so much better because the sleep is more solid. So the measurement is much, it's a more subjective measurement. 
we can get lost, I think, sometimes in the kind of academia of increasing, changing sleep by a certain number of minutes and writing everything down. And that can be counterproductive for some people because it goes back to that trying and that controlling and the, the monitoring piece of it. How you feel during the day is the important thing. Um, right. Yeah. Similarly, when you talk about the tracking, I think the sleep tracker sometimes can really cause more harm than be helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I ask my clients not to use them. <laughs> you, you can use it after you've gotten over your insomnia if you're curious. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, I mean, I, I wear one, but I don't use it to measure my sleep. It's satisfying to do measurements. I, I find it find it satisfying so when I got the Fitbit I started watching and I'm like oh I'm going to set up the sleep tracking app I'm just going to see and I know in my brain that they a they're not accurate but it makes you want to check it because it's information that's available so even though I don't have a sleeping problem anymore it's kind of addictive to do Mm -hmm. Um, so I really try to advise people who are struggling with their sleep if you need an alarm clock in the morning that's fine turn it around and put it on the other side of the room or put it in another room so you actually have to get up and go in the other room to turn it off. Don't look at your phone to see what time it is after you've gone to bed. Don't look at your watch, take it off, turn off your apps. Mm -hmm. Um, It's difficult for people because they're used to doing that. It doesn't do anybody any good to say, I've looked at my watch now and I've been asleep for two hours and I've been awake for 37 minutes and yesterday it was um, 3.30 in the morning and I was up for an hour and a half. It doesn't do anybody any good. So I think removing the ability to do that is actually helpful for people's sleep and helps them not worry about it so much, essentially, from a from a tracking point of view. I think tracking can aid people's sleep anxiety more than it can do any kind of help. Right. That's a good point. I'm wondering for some people who are so in control, they're like, have you ever met anyone? They are not willing to do that. They are not willing to let go of the the clock, the time, the tracking. They're just like so anxious, so unsettled. It's very difficult for them to follow your suggestions. I have. If they get better, they get better slower because they have that level of anxiety. And, and if somebody has what seems to be a, a very high level of clinical level anxiety, I'll often refer them and try to refer them to somebody with, with some knowledge in sleep or we work kind of more collaboratively. You have to become confident enough in your natural ability to sleep to let go of that need to control it. And if somebody's used to only getting a few hours of, of sleep, like their desperation for that attachment is greater, I think. They cling to it a little bit more than somebody who maybe get more sleep than that. Right. Some people will get a few hours of sleep and they, they're not as fussed as somebody who gets seven, but they're really, really worried that they're not getting eight, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that myth of the eight hours drives a lot of people's anxiety as well. They read on internet forums, you're going to have all these horrible diseases if you don't get eight hours of sleep every night. And it's not true necessarily. And it's, it's not helpful, not helpful information. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. That's interesting. When you mentioned this, it reminded me of the hyper arousal component you mentioned very at the very beginning. So I know for people with insomnia, they possibly have a lot of anxiety about sleep itself and possibly have anxiety about other things too for some of them. Yeah, how does it relate to hyperarousal? How hyperarousal relate to sleep? 
Right. Um, so that kind of hyper arousal, at least in my experience, it will permeate everything <laughs> in a person's life. In some ways, that hyper arousal becomes functional to overcome the fatigue during the day so that people can do the things that they need to do. The problem is that you can't flick that switch and turn it off. So people will sleep really lightly. They'll think they're not sleeping. <laughs> and sometimes they're sleeping and then it's difficult to know without a without a sleep study but I suspect in a lot of people who claim they don't sleep at all ever are sleeping they're just so hyper aroused that they're they're just below the surface of their conscious kind of waking brain <laughs> all the time because they're feeling threatened all the time and I think mindfulness practice can be helpful in kind of reducing that overall level of arousal. Uh, it takes a lot of practice. And I suggest usually people practice on things that are not as threatening as losing sleep. Avoid using techniques and strategies like hammers on a nail, but to use them in, in everyday situations that are not so kind of emotionally loaded um, or perceived as threatening. Um, so you develop a little bit of skill and practice in using these things to kind of bring that level of arousal down over time. It's definitely not an overnight thing by any stretch. <laughs> mm, yeah, I like these suggestions you gave that how to help people, you know, not look at the clock and not checking their sleep. And if they're too hyper-aroused, which gets into the way of their sleep, they should consider maybe mindfulness this kind of training this practice can be helpful to yeah. really bring them more to the connect in connect with their physical symptoms their present moment possibly can really mm -hmm. lower that activity yeah. some people look at mindfulness and meditation as kind of a bit in the woo category um, but there's actually really good evidence that the way that you you think and you perceive things has a neurophysiological effect <laughs> and has a really direct observable effect. So I would try to focus on that piece of it rather than pushing these as opportunities away as kind of being metaphysical. I certainly did at the beginning because I kind of like, I want the evidence. And I was definitely in one of the trackers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it took me a while to kind of realize, actually, I just let go of my idea of myself as only doing things a certain way and open myself up to this and there's evidence for it, I'm missing a trick if I, if I don't try to view this as an opportunity. And those opportunities help me in my life kind of more, more broadly as well. Um, and there's so many different strands of those things um, that you can explore and see kind of what tugs at you and what kind of resonates with you. Um, yeah. Right. Um, I would say look on the internet it, it, it's got its pluses and its minuses doing that um, yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> so how people can find more good information about CBTI like do you write anything like your do you have a blog introduce about that or is there any like uh, reasonable resources that reliable resources people can turn to hmm so there are some registers of people who practice CBTI if people want to get in contact um, with somebody who is a, a clinical professional. Um, in the States, I would have to look them up. I think the University of Pennsylvania Medical has yeah. a, a list. Mm -hmm. um, and there are others um, in different, different parts of the world. Certainly, 
if you are interested in the kind of the more mindfulness side of things, there are a million different, um, <laughs> to almost too many, too much choice. Um, I would say pick something and, and go with it. And there are mindfulness centers everywhere, literally ev on every corner, whether they're open now at the, at the moment or not. A lot of things going on on Zoom as well. In terms of CBTI and my work, people can find me online. I'm tracytheSleepCoach.co.uk. Um, I put the website up not too long ago. There are a few posts there. Um, and I also run a Facebook group called Sound Sleep Strategies, which is based on CBTI and other related evidence-based um, techniques for helping people improve their sleep. And I'm on Instagram. <laughs> Instagram Great. and Pinterest, same thing, Tracy, Tracy the Sleep Coach. I love like it, Tracy the Sleep Coach. Yeah. <laughs> easy to remember and easy to find. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I will put all this information in the show notes also for people to click, to, to look, to refer back to. Yeah. yeah, I'm happy to put together a list of um, uh, resources and contact places for people. Um, I can certainly do that for the UK and probably the US as well. Oh, definitely. That would be great. I can also put it on the website. Um, my podcast website has a resource list. I put like ASM website and how to mm -hmm. find the sleep center website. I believe UPenn's literal postulate there too. Yeah. But um, if there's any good resource around the UK or anything you know, I would love to get that from you and put it on Fantastic. the website. Great. Yeah, I hope more people get to know CBTI. At the end of the show, um, I'm thinking, you know, if all the listeners are listening right now, they have some sleep concerns. What if you have one thing you want to say to them, what that may be? I think it's not hard, but it sounds trite without the context and is try not to worry so much about not sleeping. It's a difficult one without the context of the rest of the show. Um, but I think worrying too much and trying too hard to sleep because we can't control sleep um, is only counterproductive. Right, right. Yeah, hopefully when people hear this this sentence, they already listen to the whole show, they get a basic idea that mm. our biology can be so strong. So trust our body, trust our own biology. Our sleep system is not broken. We are not broken. <laughs> not broken. And you, you can't forget how to sleep. Mm. I like that. Yeah. yeah. This is wonderful, Tracy. Very nice talking to you about CBTI. I think you possibly are the first guest on the podcast really trying to explain in and ins and outs about CBT for insomnia, CBTI, this method for our audience. Uh, it's been really fun. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Hopefully today's conversation with Tracy bring you some hope. If you are suffering from some kind of sleep difficulties, you know there are great methods, great resources are out there to help you out. And the links Tracy mentioned, I will put them on the show note at deepintosleep.co slash episode slash 046. If you are in California and suffering from insomnia and need help, you can find the CBTI service I offered on the same website. 
Before we end, I want to add a special thank you to all the audience who have been listening to our podcast over the past year. So today, formally, our podcast has been launched for one whole year. It's been quite a journey. I started from launching the episode every other week to every week. Sometimes I skipped. A show here and there when I was busy. To now, I'm able to consistently launch the episode every Wednesday morning. Thank you all for your support along the way, and I really appreciate that. We have several great guests in this coming months, and hopefully to see you again. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co/insomnia.